You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Good morning, River City. It's glad to be, I'm glad to be with you this final Sunday in the year 2021. Uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, the days are getting longer. Can I get an amen for that? Uh, <laughs> someone raised their like, glory, someone's hand in the back. Um, I'm excited for that. So uh, I had one friend say, because the days are getting longer, let's just call it spring and go from there. Are we in agreement? Can we just do that? Um, I, had a, I heard a pastor say this, this last summer, I was at a uh, a thing with a handful of other pastors, and uh, he was trying to. He was there to encourage the group of us who were there, and he said, "If if 2020 was lit, 2021 has been smoldering, right? We had all this great hope coming out of a really challenging year of 2020 that was kind of bonkers, and we're like, well, maybe 2021 will be will be better, right? It'll be more hopeful. Maybe we'll figure some stuff out. And in a lot of ways, we've all experienced a lot of growth and." change and good things. And yet at the very same time, it's, this last year has been full of its own sets of challenges. And that's, and that's kind of what this last year has kind of felt like, a slow smolder of sorts, uh, picking up some of the pieces, sorting through mountains of information. What's really going on? Where do we actually go from here? Right? We don't love everything we've experienced, and we're somewhat unsure of what comes next. It was just yesterday, if you haven't already forgotten, it was just yesterday, we were filled with joy and laughter, right? In my house, it was the, the, the snow was falling, and the tree was on, and there was a fire in the fireplace, and we, it, like this, there's these warm, you know, sit in your pajamas for most of the day, time together. Right? I get great joy in gift giving. I love watching people's eyes light up when they open something that I think they're going to love. And today, now today, Christmas is over. And we're in this odd little window of time between Christmas and the new year. And it doesn't take long from probably many of us. And the anxiety begins to set in. Right? How can we do something different in the year to come? How can we do better than we've done before? We make goals and resolutions. We download apps to help us read more or work out more or eat better or actually send family members birthday cards this year. That one's just for me. Right? It doesn't take long. And the the questions and the anxieties and the unknowns of what comes next seem to creep in. See, we might pause for a day or two here where maybe we get an extra day off from work or we go to visit family, but the clock doesn't stop. Each second keeps ticking. The minutes and hours and days keep moving. All the stuff we've tried to ignore or maybe bury under wrapping paper or attempt to satisfy with delicious things, it's all still there. It all keeps coming back to look us in the face. So while we get a little bit of a breather for a few days, perhaps... maybe just for a few days from our cares and from our worries, the reality is we still carry our own burdens and cares and anxieties with us. And Jesus is still inviting us today to cast them on Him because He's offered to carry them. So all of this can overwhelm 
And on this last Sunday of the year, I am asking myself and all of us this question, how can we step into the next year with gospel-fueled hope, with purpose, and with clarity? And to help us answer that, we're going to look at Psalm 143. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 143. Um, If you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up and someone will come around and we'll put one in your hands. We'd love to have you read along. Excuse me. Psalm 143 is a psalm of David. David is looking for answers for his own anxieties. He's looking to satisfy his own thirst and for purpose and hope for him in what will come next. What direction will his life take? So as we work through this psalm briefly this morning, I, I pray we'll find this. That in seeking the Lord and his glory, we will find our anxieties calmed, our hopes restored, and our calling sure. That in seeking the Lord in His glory, we'll find our anxieties calmed, our hopes restored, and our calling sure. So we're going to read all 12 verses of Psalm 143. It'll be on the screen. I invite you to read along either on the screen or in your Bibles or even just um, listen as we read. I did say 143, right? Good. Just making sure I didn't lose my spot. Psalm 143, a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. This is God's word for us this morning. So the question I'm asking, how can we step into another year with gospel-fueled hope, with actual purpose and clarity? Now, Psalm 143 is, is a psalm attributed to King David. And as many as David's psalms, it is a cry out to God in a time of trouble. See, David has a keen understanding of his own weakness. It comes up time and time again in the Psalms. He he recognizes and just outwardly professes, I am in need. And at the same time, you hear and you read, just like in this Psalm, a deep confidence in God to actually meet his need. It's not one or the other, it's both. And this Psalm here is kind of split in the middle between verses uh, 1 through 6 and then verses 7 through 12, there's this little pause, this Selah moment, likely a liturgical term for pausing and reflection and meditation. 
And it comes right after verse 6, which I think is the key to understanding this entire psalm. So we're going to start with the middle, and then look how verse 6 helps us understand the whole psalm. Verses 1 through 6, looking at David's prayer for peace and endurance, and then in 7 through 12, David's prayer for hope and for clarity for the future. So, everything I think hinges on verse 6. Let's read it again. David says this, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Parched is dry. (laughs) David is saying, my soul thirsts for you like my body is in need of water when I'm wandering in the desert. Deserts are dry, right? I know this is like Captain Obvious, but just go with me here. The core of David's psalm is this. That there is one place to go where his deep need can be met. There is one place where peace can be found. And David, praying to the God of heaven and earth, says this. My soul thirsts for you, God. See, when David comes to the end of himself, and his own ability, and his own strength, at his most broken, at his most defeated... He doesn't try to bury his troubles and anxieties. He doesn't pretend they don't exist. He doesn't attempt uh, to find a way to to willpower his way through them to try harder or, or make better plans. David, at his end, cries out to God. Which is sometimes different than... For us, right? I think we, we like hold out until the bitter end, trying our, our, our own strength. When we're feeling dry, when we feel anxiety begin to creep in, what is your natural reaction? Do you attempt to bury it or distract yourself with other things long enough that you don't have to think about it? Maybe if you just ignore it, it will go away. In the history of humanity, can I just lovingly say that never works. It doesn't just go away. Do you go back to the planner and the to-do list and double down on your schedule and self-discipline? Do you attempt to satisfy your own thirst and your own hungers with other things that may fill the void for a moment, but in the end leave you malnourished and leave you thirsty again just moments later? When you feel the darkness closing in around you, when things begin to overwhelm you, are you able to admit your need? And as David says in the first part of verse 6, are you able to stretch out your hands to God because in Him you are looking for your refreshment and your rest? See, verse 6 is a confession. It's a confession that says there's only one thing that will truly satisfy the deep drought in our souls. And that's found in God alone. Jesus says something similar as recorded in John chapter 4. Jesus is meeting with a woman at a well in the middle of the day. We don't have time to get into the whole story, but basically she's avoiding community because of her own brokenness. And Jesus meets with her, asks her for water. And after some back and forth in verses 13 and 14 of John 4, Jesus says to this woman, Everyone who drinks of this water, speaking from this well, everyone who drinks of water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says, well, I'm I'm interested in this water. And Jesus begins to unpack for her the mysteries of the kingdom and him as her savior. 
See, like David, we are all welcomed to the well, not of water for our bodies, but of water for our souls. There is a type of water, spiritually, that eliminates <clears throat> excuse me, our thirst. A type of satisfaction that eliminates want. And as we look to what comes next, we start here with open hands asking God to satisfy us with himself. That's why I said verse 6 is the the key to understanding this psalm. Let's continue. Look back at the text. Verse 1. The psalm opens with prayers that God would hear us. I don't often open my prayers that way. Hear my prayer, O Lord. He's just asking for help. And I think I often don't pray that way because I'm not desperate enough in my prayers. Maybe a big takeaway for me is I've been studying this text this week. I'm not desperate enough because I'm not always seeing my condition clearly. But David is calling out to God for an answer and for help. Look at verse 2. He pleads with God, enter not into judgment with your servant. David is asking for mercy. He's asking God to be gracious to him, acknowledging that people fall short of God's righteousness. And he is counted among those who fall short. And even though all are not faithful before the Lord, David included, his enemies have often gotten the better of him and have crushed him, driven him into dark places. And and he says, and my spirit faints. And this is important. I believe Psalm 143 is not just speaking of physical brokenness. I mean, David often talks about how he's being pursued by his enemies and there's like literal enemies with swords who are chasing him. And so we can go, okay, external enemies. But I think what's really important about Psalm 143 here is it's not just speaking of external uh, weight and brokenness and trauma. David is speaking here of emotional, deep, spiritual pain that he's experienced. Sitting in darkness, language David uses, like those long dead, feeling like lost and lonely and as if he should die. A faint spirit, right? These are pictures of someone who's hurting internally. So if I can just encourage you for a moment this morning from Psalm 143, when the Bible speaks of trials and hardships and pain and darkness, it isn't only speaking about foreign armies or cancer diagnoses or or external temptations or physical ailments. It's also speaking of internal hurts and brokenness and struggles uh, so often under the surface, unseen. And I want you to hear this morning that there's mercy and grace there as well. See, David says, I'm looking for peace for my troubled soul. I need endurance and strength to sustain me. And so what does he do? Look at verse 5. He says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. What do I do? I remember I meditate. I ponder. This is what God has already done. Here's how God has already shown out. These are all the things He's already been faithful in so far. And so if this is true of Him, then He's the one I'm going to reach out for. When I need peace for my troubled mind and my troubled soul, I reach out to find it in the one who is the Prince of Peace. When I need healing, I reach out to the great physician who knows all my weaknesses and needs and is capable to meet me there. If we need a bit of restored hope as we look forward 
into the beginning of a new year. The encouragement from this psalm is that we look back at the remarkable faithfulness of God thus far and reach out to Him to be our peace and give us endurance and strength. Do we recount all the ways? Can He give us grace to see all the ways He has shown us His goodness and His faithfulness and His mercy, even in the midst of seasons of trial and unknown? Let's keep going. As I said, verse 6 is kind of the hinge. We cry out to God. We stretch out our hands to Him. Why? Because He is the one who will ultimately satisfy us. David continues, verses 7 and 8. He, he turns his prayers a little bit to today and also tomorrow. He says, answer me quickly, O Lord. Which is another thing I don't often include in my prayers as if to presume upon God. Can you give me an answer soon? And I don't think David's being short with God or impatient. He's just saying, I, I don't have much time. I, I'm weak. I'm limited. You're the only one who can answer. It's not that the Lord doesn't know David's condition or that he doesn't know your condition. I don't think David's freaking out here. I think he's just confessing that he's empty. He doesn't have much left in the tank. He can't sustain under his own strength and he knows it. He just owns it. And look at what he desires. He says in verse 8, that when the morning comes, David would experience the steadfast love of the Lord. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Uh, Author Marshall Siegel writes this about David's joy. He says, The secret ingredient to David's joy is his awareness that a sinful man like him should never get to experience this kind of happiness, the kind that he's asking for. God would be righteous to turn away from David. But God delights instead to shower David with steadfast love. David recognizes, I don't deserve God's kindness. I don't deserve his mercy, but I need it. And God, being God, delights to show mercy to his children. See, David has experienced God's past deliverance and mercy, and as undeserving as he feels himself to be, when he thinks about what's coming next, he just asks God, would you show mercy again? This is the beauty of God's love for his children. It is undeserved, and God delights in showing it. This phrase, steadfast love, is the Hebrew word hesed. It's a really beautiful word which speaks of love that is loyal and faithful and kind and often not every time but most every time in your english translation when you come to that phrase steadfast love the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning that steadfast love that has said it reminds us that god is not flaky like we are that god's love is not lopsided like ours is That unlike us, God doesn't show partiality. I quoted it a couple weeks ago, and we're going to quote it again because I think it's a beautiful description of this kind of love from the Jesus Storybook Bible. That in Christ Jesus, God loves his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And if God's love is like this, then this is indeed something on which we can pin our hopes for what's next. I have a little bit more hope about what's next if I remember that this is the kind of love that holds me. Even with a thousand unknowns, I can know 
one thing for certain, that in Christ Jesus, I am loved. And out of that position is one who is loved. David makes another request. Look at verse 8. He says, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Make me know the way I should go. That's a great New Year's prayer, right? Put that one on your bathroom mirror and just pray that for the next week. Lord, make me know the way I should go. Help me to know what's next. Why? For to you I lift up my soul. See, if the Lord's the one who is the faithful one, if the Lord's the one who has satisfied my thirsty soul, if the Lord is the one from whom I seek wisdom and understanding and direction, then I'm going to keep going back and asking him, Lord, would you give me what's next? Verse 9, David continues, deliver me. And in the context, it's a continue to deliver me from my enemies. Verse 10, he says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Teach me to do whose will? All together now. Your will, (laughs) right? That's what he says. Teach me to do your will. In all of this, in all of his need and request, he could say, oh Lord, and there's this thing I'm, I'm still unsure about. But David just offers a surrender. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. See, David's not asking God just to approve whatever plans he's come up with. David has surrendered his will to the will of the sovereign Lord, trusting that maybe, just maybe, the God who created the universe, the one who holds all things together by the word of his power, might just have a plan and a purpose for all these things, even my short little life on this planet. And notice, Psalm 143 doesn't give us an answer to David's request. We don't know from this psalm what God said or how he led David. But David knew that even though he might not know all of what's next, his prayer was this, align my will with your will. Make my steps level. Show me the path I should walk. But align my will with your will. See, sometimes clarity for us about what's next is not as clear as we'd like it. Visibility is limited to steal a weather slash transportation term. Sometimes, despite our goal setting, despite our budgeting, there are still many unknowns. But that doesn't mean we stop. It means we walk with our faces fixed on the one who can do all things. See, the end of Romans chapter 8 illustrates exactly how this is expressed for us on this side of the cross. Something David had not yet understood. Paul writes this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him generously give us all things? Paul continues, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That means Jesus is praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 
Paul's just outlining our condition. And then he writes this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We might not have complete understanding or clarity of the next uh, 10 months, let alone 10 minutes, that God might have for us as we step into this new year. But we can see the first step, and it's found here in verse 10. Lord, I surrender my will to yours. Lord, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Finally, David closes this psalm in verse 11. He says, For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. For whose name's sake? Yahweh. For the Lord. For the sake of His name. This final piece from Psalm 143 and how it might calm our anxieties and restore our hope a little and maybe give us some clarity as God is to what God has called us to as we step into this new year. It's glory for God more than glory for us. David is reminding himself more than he's reminding God that this is for the Lord's great name, that he might rescue from trouble, that God might destroy everything that would desire our harm. See, for, for you and for me, so often what fuels our uncertainty, what fuels our anxieties, is that we can't help but drift toward a, to a worldview, to a functioning worldview that just revolves around us. We just drift into the center of our own universes as if we are this great, glorious sun that everything revolves around. But true joy and purpose is not found in finding ourselves, but in losing ourselves. Jesus says in Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. See, rather than, than frantically and anxiously seeking our own security, our own esteem, and our own glory, we can pray with David, Lord, make your name great through me. See, at the end of the day, David's rescue and redemption, his salvation from all his enemies, doesn't point to the greatness of David. It points to the greatness of God. And so, as we look at a new year, maybe with some anxiety, maybe with some fear, maybe with some unknowns, will next year be more like last year? Or will it be better? Or maybe we've grown a little cynical. Our hopes maybe are less than they've been. Or maybe the future just looks a little unclear and you have more questions than answers. I think we've been given a little bit of a gift here in Psalm 143. That as we come to the end of the year and begin the start of another, we are reminded that we too can stretch out our hands to Him and we can be confident that we will find Him. That in Him we will find rest. In Him we will find satisfaction. In Him we will find hope. And in Him we will find purpose. You know, I said it earlier, just yesterday, most of us were opening presents with family or friends. The night before that, we gathered here to sing carols of praise to King Jesus by candlelight. It was a really sweet time of worship. And two days before that, last Wednesday, I visited a friend in the hospital who would meet Jesus face-to-face -face later that evening. 
And this coming week, I have the honor of helping serve his family at his memorial service. And I tell you this because the reality is we have no idea what the year holds. I have some personal goals. I have areas of growth that I'm committed to pursuing, right? I'm sure you do as well. There are some exciting things in the works for us as a church as we look at how we might best use this building we're in and, how some, and some really strategic areas for ministry multiplication and church planting in our metro area and in the larger region. I have hopes for my family and for my kids and for you and your families. And I believe that all of this is safely in the care of a good Heavenly Father who cares for us and is always working for His glory and for our good, even when we can't see it. So I don't know how you're feeling as you step into a new year. Are you anxious or are you hopeful? I don't know if you feel full of clarity and purpose or if you have confusion and unknowns, but I'm convinced and I'm helped by Psalm 143 that we can seek the Lord and His glory and in so doing, in carving out the time and the space to surrender our wills, to pause and to listen to His word, We will find peace in our strife and in our anxieties. We will find hope renewed in us a little and clarity about what's coming next. Happy New Year, church. To God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are one who, being majestic, and righteous and holy, welcome your children to seek you. Thank you that we can cry out to you, that you're not put off or surprised when we confess our weakness, for you know we are dust. Thank you that in your mercy you delight to receive the prayers of your people. And so we offer them to you. Father, we lift our hands to you. We confess our need. And we believe that you are faithful to meet us in our place of need. That in Christ Jesus, we can have legitimate hope. That in Christ Jesus, we can find rest. That in Christ Jesus, we can have boldness and confidence, not in ourselves, but in you who lead and guide us. As we come to the table, I pray you would work renewal and restoration in our hearts for your glory and for our good. Amen.